0: His name was Chief Cross, and he says, you just won the lottery, what job do you want? And it didn't take me three seconds to tell him to get out of my chair. <laughs> so after he picked himself up off the floor laughing, thinking you know, that I was crazy, thinking I could do his job, he understood that I was motivated and took me under his wing as a mentor and started helping me develop my thought process as far as understanding what law enforcement was really about.
1: Listening to the Black and Blue Podcast, a discussion and celebration of the roles of African Americans and other minorities in U.S. law enforcement. Your host on the Black and Blue Podcast is Dale Peters, a law enforcement professional with over 20 years' experience in the business. Hop on board this Black and Blue train of interviews, current events, and pop culture conversations. So get ready. The Black and Blue Podcast is coming at you right now. Hey, Black and Blue fam, how you feeling? Welcome to the latest edition of the Black and Blue Podcast, where we celebrate diversity in U.S. law enforcement. My name is Dale and I'm the host. Thank you for joining me on this wild ride to bring you the stories of minority law enforcement officers from across the country. I hope you get some value out of this content. And if you do, please consider clicking those like, subscribe, and bell icons right down here on my YouTube channel. And if you're listening to me on your favorite podcast platform, please consider rating the Black and Blue podcast five stars. And Check out the Black and Blue podcast social media pages for more Black and Blue content. You can find me everywhere at Black and Blue U.S. So today's guest is the chief of police of the San Gabriel Police Department out here in Southern California. Everybody, please help me. Welcome to the show. Chief Gene Harris. How you doing, sir? I'm not bad. How are you Bill? I am excellent. Excellent. Thank you for joining me here on the show. I appreciate you.
0: No worries. I'm all in Uh for you, bro.
1: All right. Appreciate that. Yeah, you've been on the show here before uh, on the live version of the show. So with some other chiefs of police and I believe we're talking about leadership and that sort of thing. So I appreciate you coming back for this this one-on-one exercise that we're going to do here today. So I really appreciate that. No problem. Uh, All right. So here to get it done. So we're good. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So uh, like I mentioned there in the in the intro, you are the chief of police of uh, San Gabriel Police Department out in San Gabriel, California. For for the viewers and the listeners, exactly where is San Gabriel? And tell tell everybody a little bit about the city. San Gabriel is
0: a city uh, about four miles outside of uh, Los Angeles proper, uh, just four miles east of L.A., and we are in the San Gabriel Valley, uh, the west portion of the San Gabriel Valley. So right along the I-10 corridor uh, and north of that. So um, part of the San Gabriel Valley would include the foothills, uh, the San Gabriel Mountains, and all the way down past the 60 Freeway. Um, So a very large uh, area, probably 29 police departments within uh, the San Gabriel Valley. Um, So it's a quite a large area. Uh, We are almost the furthest west uh, within that San Gabriel Valley piece. Uh, And we have contiguous borders with some of the major cities, such as uh, LAPD and some of the others.
1: Okay. All right. And and Uh, actually not
0: contiguous borders, but we're we're very close. We have uh, um, so many areas that are around us that we are that close to it, spitting distance to the the
1: border. (laughs) Spitting distance. Spitting distance. Uh Right. Right. (laughs) How how large is the city as far as population? Uh, Our city is about um,
0: residential. And the last census is probably up about 57,000. Uh, okay. folks uh it gets to probably maybe um, closer to 100 120,000 during the day with the with the transit especially during the week uh and the work stuff uh, but we're about 57 uh, thousand as far as the census population
1: gotcha and, and what are the counted sort of, folks <laughs> right the ones that are counted and uh w- with that what what's the uh the demographics of san gabriel
0: uh demographics uh we are about 62 to 63 percent asian Um, with various dialects, the the largest chunk of that being uh, Chinese and Vietnamese. Um, And then we have about uh, 30%-ish Latino. And then the balance of that would cover uh, everything else, Uh, blacks, um, uh, Middle Eastern folks, a little bit of everything. Um, We have a few, um, some Armenian folks in the city, Um, but those two large blocks usually uh, make up most of what we have here.
1: Okay. So a large, largely uh minority community there. All right. Appreciate Absolutely. that. And, and how large is your department?
0: Uh, we are 57 sworn. Um, we have uh, some volunteers and reserve officers. Um, so uh, we're trying to grow the department. Uh, there is definitely a need for that. But uh, we're about 57 sworn as it stands.
1: Okay. Okay. And you were the chief of police there. How, how long you been chief? I'm in year six.
0: Um, so moving right along, uh, as the years seem to just be kind of flowing by, um, but, uh, we're in year six and I think we're doing some good things here. So, uh, it's been the first couple of years were whoo heavy, uh, oh, yeah. as it would be for any chief, but, uh, then you start getting your legs under you and you start moving in the right direction and we're doing some fabulous things here in this community.
1: Okay. Okay. Did, did you come up there in uh, San Gabriel or, or did you come from somewhere else? Now, I came from the outside. I started my law enforcement career back in
0: Uh, the late 80s with the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. Uh, I left the Sheriff's Department and went to the Monterey Park Police Department, which is directly south of where I am now. Uh, And I'm now with um, uh, San Gabriel, and I'm in my 30th year of law
1: enforcement. Uh, 30 years, man. (laughs) You've seen it all then. You've been around. Seen a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And uh, I'm glad to still be standing. All right. All right. And uh, what did you retire as or, or did you leave as over at uh, Monterey Park? I left there as a captain to take the
0: chief's mm-hmm. job here. Okay. So um, that's common in some of these areas when you get to a command position. Um, when openings open up, um, you know, in L.A. County, there's 45 independent cities, uh, Los Angeles and then 44 others. And so there's a lot of opportunity for chiefs of police jobs uh, as they come up if you're in a significant command position, which I was.
1: Yeah. And uh, Monterey Park is is basically kind of the same as San Gabriel as far as population. Um, I know there are a lot of uh, Asians in in Monterey Park as well. So probably I don't know is Monterey Park a little bit uh, larger than San Gabriel? Yeah, the demographic was the same, uh, but the department itself
0: was was larger. Uh, it's probably about eighty seven sworn, and a um, uh, little bit bigger from a square mileage perspective. Uh, but the same type of issues. Uh, some of the same cultural dynamics uh, that San Gabriel has. So it was a a smooth transition for me, at least from the cultural perspective.
1: All right. All right. So you are an African-American chief there. What's your relationship with the, with the Asian community there, uh, both at uh, San Gabriel and when you were in Monterey park, Uh, I know we had a lot of tension uh, last year with a lot of Asian hate crimes. And I'm sure that's still going on, just not being publicized by the media, but uh, how's your relationship there with your community?
0: Well, it started for me back when i was with monterey park because it was a lesson for me i came up in patrol and some of the other specialized assignments where i worked frontline positions um, dealing with members of the community and in this case specifically with the asian community so there was a lot to learn because when i came from the sheriff's department i worked in an area that was predominantly black uh, and latino and so when i got here um, i had to broaden my horizons and understand uh, a lot about the different Here meaning monterey park i had to understand a lot about the cultural norms, the cultural dynamics, and I had to get on a very steep learning curve. Um, And it was really good for me um, because I came from a very diverse uh, upbringing uh, with with, uh, the places and positions that my mother put me in uh, to make sure that I was well-versed and well-rounded and and I I didn't have just a one-size-fits-all view of what culture meant. And so it helped me out, it helped me keep my eyes open, and I learned quite a bit in Monterey Park that just translated when I came to San Gabriel understanding asian culture understanding first generation versus second generation um, understanding the working culture uh, understanding the educational aspect of that and really getting to know what it is we need to do to make sure we're servicing these communities properly
1: yeah yeah and and i love i love that uh experiencing different cultures that's that's one of my big things and how I was brought up as well with uh, you talked about your mom putting you in those positions. My mom kind of brought me up with, with that uh, respect in all different cultures. So that's why I have friends of all different races. And and, and I just love, uh, you know, one of one of my good friends is Asians as well. Um, back when people were still saying Oriental and I wasn't mm-hmm. saying that I was calling him Asian, mm-hmm. he even told me, yeah, hey, I appreciate that and uh and I I'm, I'm a guy that tells uh people, you know, whether you have an Asian name or or an Armenian name or Middle Eastern uh make me say your name the correct way. Don't don't change your name to John if your name isn't John. Make, you know, make me say your name the way your mama gave it to you. So, uh, you know, I really appreciate people's cultures like that. Yeah, help me understand it. Help me understand yes. it.
0: And uh Mama Harris, I call her Miss Ruby. Uh, everybody calls her that. Uh, Really taught us to be my brother and I um, To be open and understanding of all of these cultures because we have to live together And I think it was probably one of the greatest lessons that I was able, you know able to bring because when I was born We I I was on 99th and Budlong, you know down in South Central Um, Then we moved down to Wilmington where a little bit of a different dynamic uh, Moved from an all-black dynamic to uh, you know mixed black and Latino dynamic where I went to high school and so I had to learn to operate in different in different places, as did she working for the federal government and being, you know, working at, at aerospace and with a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds. So um, it was really a good lesson for me. And I use all of those
1: lessons today. Chief, are, are we related? Are we can here? We talking the same experiences that say, you know, my mom, <laughs> she when my mom, when we moved out here from from uh, Columbus, Ohio, my mom worked in the in the uh, aeronautics industry at Lockheed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she worked over there. Lockheed was over there in Burbank. So then we moved over there, Burbank, Glendale area. So that's where I came up because you know she was working over there. So man, all this is like deja vu. <laughs> yeah, we might be we might be cousins. I call you my brother right. from another
0: mother, right? That's, that's exactly how we do it. exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so what what kind of brought you to law enforcement? Um, you know, you say your your mom brought you uh, to different experiences. What what kind of brought you into the law enforcement uh, field? Well. You know, I, I'm
0: not sure that my drive to serve came from any one place other than within, um, because I've always felt that when I was a youngster um, that I wanted to be, you know, somebody, someone that was going to be out here in, in a, a role of service. So when I was 17, I joined the United States Marine Corps. My father was a Marine, um, and so uh, my friends went to the Marine Corps. So I joined when I was 17, having a clear understanding that I wasn't ready yet for what the world had to offer. I had to develop and become a man. And I think it's to this day, the best decision that I've ever made uh, as far as my development. Um, and I did my service there um, for five years and then got hired with the Sheriff's Department. And, uh, you know, I've only had two real jobs, the Marine Corps and law enforcement. And for me, it has really just, you know, that saying where they say, if you if you do something you love, you don't work a day in your life. I would imagine it's quite like the happiness I see on your face when you're doing podcasts is exactly the way that I feel when I'm doing uh, police work and impacting the community and stuff. So. For me, that's how it started. Uh, I just became a service oriented person uh, and I made decisions in my life that was going to put me in that lane uh, to serve. And that's all I've ever done.
1: All right. All right. So then you you got into the police department, kind of kind of walk us through your your career there with the sheriff's department.
0: Um, I left the Marine Corps and got hired on my 21st birthday within the sheriff's department. Um, I went there. I worked custody. Um, I left custody to go work. Uh, in the field. I did some time at uh, one of the local stations down in the south end of the county. And um, uh, I left there. Uh, It it was interesting. There was some turmoil back in those days um, that had to do with some issues that were going on at the jail at that time. Um, And it impacted black inmates and black deputies. And um, it was just a bad time with some 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 gang things that were going on, deputy gang things that were going on back in the days. Um, that i wasn't specifically involved in but reached out and touched me as a part of just being in that world um and it turned out that uh i had a really bad experience with the early part of my career with the sheriff's department um i probably won't go into too much detail about that here on this podcast uh but what it did was it made me focus and see if there was opportunities elsewhere and uh, it turned out that that worked out well for me so uh, that's how it kind of went. Um, I had the opportunity to distance myself from things that might tend to drag a brother down. And I decided I didn't want to go that route. And so I made conscious decisions to do things a different way. Um, none of the things that involved me were, were you know, major major things anybody would need to be concerned about as far as the department or as far as I am. Just we were not a fit. And I found a better fit where I needed to be.
1: And that, and that fit was uh, Monterey Park, P.D.? And that fit was Monterey and Park. Then, uh, Yeah. All right. So so what was your your career like over there? Uh, I was
0: there for 22 and a half, almost 23 years before I got here. Uh, And so um, I am really uh, blessed to have been in a place that did it right. I believe that the Monterey Park Police Department did things the right way, uh, taught us and brought us up the right way. The chiefs that I worked with uh, were understanding of culture and understanding of the importance of education uh, and learning and how to. Uh, Apply yourself in in an environment where things were changing pretty quickly and you needed to be a person who was going to adapt to that change And so um, I learned from the chiefs that I had there uh, very good folks that taught me interesting story So I sit down with the chief that hired me in Monterey Park and he says "Uh, You just won the Monterey Park lottery. Uh, His name was chief cross and he says you just won the lottery What job do you want and it didn't take me three seconds to tell him to get out of my chair (laughs) So after he picked himself up off the floor laughing, thinking you know, that I was crazy, thinking I could do his job, he understood that I was motivated and took me under his wing as a mentor and started helping me develop my thought process as far as understanding what law enforcement was really about. It all It isn't all about running and gunning and going and finding crooks, although that might be an element of it. What it really is about is community service and finding ways to positively impact the communities that we serve, and I have taken those lessons really to, uh, to heart and it's helped me in my career. And then the following chiefs did the same thing. And so I've grown and developed and probably have become the chief that I am today, certainly in, in large part due to what they've taught me. So it was awesome. I've worked just about every assignment you can work without, with the exception of motorcycles. Cause my opinion, I don't, I don't know, black people might, we shouldn't be on two wheels, but that's just, uh, well, well, that's come, just my come own on, thing. Come on now, Chief, come on thing. now,
1: Chief. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what, I, you know, I gotta kinda, uh kind of second that you know i I like motorcycles i've had uh motorcycles in my days and 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 motorcycles it's not a question of when you go down because you're gonna go down but how hard Uh so i've been down before broken an ankle and uh Uh almost at my current agency almost went to uh to motor school Uh i was this close and then uh something happened and and the chief pulled me out and and stuck me in the narc so uh, maybe it was a blessing in disguise but uh (laughs)
0: Yeah, I was absolutely I was in the same boat, but I was absolutely being facetious talking about that. I think uh, diversity in each of our units, um, whether it's traffic, motor units or anywhere else. I think that um, there should be a, a certainly a, a whole host of diversity elements or, or components to it. Um, I know a lot of of, of of brothers who are riding that bike and they're out there doing a great job. So, yeah. um, you know, it, it is for some people, just not for me. And so I figured out other ways to get where I needed to go. So yeah, it worked yeah. out. I, I
1: don't know. Uh, yeah, you know how like on the East Coast, I think it's like Philly and some other those other spots. They got like the three wheel mm-hmm. motorcycle. I don't know what they call them, the trikes or whatever. Trikes, but, uh, or yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I don't think that's a thing out here. But uh, hey, maybe it's something that we can bring on out here. So, you know, you yeah. can't fall over on that.
0: Yeah, I'll try and find a way to do it. You also can't split traffic. So. You know, if you're living right. in the suburbs, that don't help you.
1: So. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the reason why you get on a, on a bike so that you can split traffic and, <laughs> and get to these places a little bit quicker ordinary, without yeah. just sitting in the sitting in that traffic. So yeah, I feel you. Nope. I feel you. No doubt. Cool, cool. So you, uh, so you've been through all sorts of uh, assignments over there, and then you, uh, someone took you, a couple chiefs took you under their under their wing. You, you kind of do the same sort of thing over there in your position as chief now to take some people under your wing and mentor them towards leadership.
0: I do. And I learned this again from the chiefs that came before me and I tell the guys after me, nothing's free. I don't do anything for free. Everything costs something. And we're not talking about money here, but you're going to pay it forward by helping the next person. When you come in and you get this mentoring from me, the way you pay me back is you mentor the next guy or gal. You mentor the next people and give them. You don't turn anybody away. It's kind of like driving down the street and seeing somebody on the side of the road with a flat tire. We all make a decision whether we're going to stop or keep driving. I've made it my decision that in this profession, we're going to stop and we're going to help people uh, if for no other reason than to make sure they're safe and healthy and all that. But if you're coming to me to get answers and, and, and get answers to questions and mentoring, um, I'm not giving it unless you're willing to pay the price. And that is to pay it forward and bring other people up to speed, each one to each one. So that's what it's about. And so it's been working out pretty good. Been have had, had yeah. some good people that have promoted to command levels uh, that I've had an opportunity to impact. Um, so I'd be naive to think that I was the only thing that, that helped these people, you know, legend in my own mind kind of thing, not,
1: <laughs> but what
0: I am is motivated about the success of other people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as you, as an African-American uh, law enforcement officer, what what kind of experience did you have? Let's say when you first decided you want to get in the profession, I mean you started in the military and that was a noble profession. But then when you switched over to law enforcement, did you got kind of get anything from your mom other than, you know, you being her son and her not wanting to see you hurt? How about your family, your mom, your friends, anybody trying to say, Hey, you know, Gene, maybe you shouldn't go this way cause you are working for the man. Well, we had some of that happen, but again, my experience was a little different
0: because of where my mother worked, right? She was working as a civilian contractor with the air force. And so she had to work with people um, of all ethnic backgrounds. And at that time predominantly white Um, and so she learned how to navigate uh in the world of of common sense and um you know keeping yourself in a position where you can see what's coming and so um the whole thing is making sure at least the message and the lessons that i took was ensuring that you put yourself in a position to be successful by putting yourself in a position not to be seen in a negative light so one of the things that happened with me at a very early age was the first day I tried to wear my pants sagging around my butt. My mother had issues with that, and that switch let me know that wasn't the way to go. So um there were a lot of times where I started figuring out how to act right up front. And I'm not casting aspersions or putting people down, but that was a lesson that I needed to learn. One of the valu- valuable lessons is I had a teacher in school who I absolutely hated. I hated her. I, I couldn't stand her, and I don't think she liked me. And I came home and told my mother, Get me out of that class. You need to put me in a different class. I can't stand this lady. She can't stand me. That's the reason why I'm failing. And for two semesters, my mother said, I'm not taking you out of the class. All you need, you can get a C for putting your damn name on the paper. So show up, do what you're supposed to do, and don't act a fool. Mom, you got to get me out of this class. I failed at two semesters. Dale, two. And I'm, wow. not, I'm not the wow. brightest bulb in the box, but I'm not stupid either. I was just being a <laughs> clown. Uh And so what mom told me was, I'm not pulling you out of the class. You're going to have to get through that class. That lady, uh, she said it kind of in a Southern drawl. She said, that lady ain't studying you. She's going to go home and she's going to be with her family. She's going on her vacation. She's doing these things. That teacher doesn't need you, but you need something from her. So you get to that class, you act right, like you're representing your name and stop acting a fool. And I tell you the first, the next semester after that lesson, I passed, I passed with a C but that's better than the F I was getting the other two semesters. But Mm -hmm. the lesson that I got that was the A lesson was I control my conduct and behavior and I can manipulate the environment around me to do what I needed to do by understanding what my own role is. Right. I understand that there's race issues in this country and in the community and counties. I understand it, but I'm not going to be a victim of it. I said that in your last, in your last podcast, I said, we have to understand it, but I don't want to be paralyzed by it. And I'm not, I have to recognize when I am and I try to dispel myths and, All those kind of things and step up and do things as if my mother is watching me all the time. So um, we had some issues uh, and I worked through them. And uh, I come from a background again with my mom doing what she was doing. All of my friends uh, were multiethnic. And so I got an opportunity to be in homes with with people who had different ways of seeing things. And I got a little bit different lesson spending the night with my friends, a Samoan guy, a white guy, a couple of Latinos and a white dude who thought he was black. So we had a few, we had a few of those and we just learned from each other and and, and those yeah. families and so I was well rounded in that respect.
1: That's awesome. And then when you finally did make that decision to to be in law enforcement none of them kind of try to sway you the other way?
0: Um not for the issues that you might think, my, uh, my mother didn't want me to join the Marine Corps. Um she had issues with that, but I did it anyway. Um and so that was about safety for her baby, you know. Yes, yes, doing what exactly. She gotta do. Uh, It wasn't a whole lot about the other part of it, but um, we did get that upbringing telling us about what to do when you're stopped by the police and put your hands at 10 and 2 and how to respond when you're stopped um, and not to make it, uh, not to blow things out of proportion when they don't need to be blown out of proportion. And that has saved me quite a bit. Um, When I was young, I got stopped quite a bit just for whatever those reasons. I won't won't say it's because there was a a race or a color issue. I'll just say I got stopped and I was doing stuff I shouldn't have been doing. So the bottom line was act right. And you get treated right. And I never had a real bad experience uh, with that. And again, me saying I haven't had the experience, it doesn't put anybody down who's had that experience. All those experiences are important. I just wasn't one of those people who had those type of experiences. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned uh, when you get stopped, you, know, you had that talk and, and, and to, to know how to respond and all that kind of <laughs> makes me think about uh, when you hear the, the the phrase fit the description. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when when black folks, you know, we we kind of heard that over the years, and and people people kind of say that and jest. We had a <laughs> we had an incident at my agency uh, last week that I backed on calls. You know, I'm not in patrol right now, but I backed on a on a two eleven, which is a robbery for for those of you outside of California. Uh, and the description of the suspect was a uh, elderly, not elderly, but a middle aged white guy. So. And they gave a description of his shirt and his pants, and he was even carrying a bag with a logo on it. So one of my partners rolled up, another brother rolled up, and he saw somebody walking not too far from, from where this, this uh, incident happened. And somebody fitting that description, and he stopped him. Turned out, this was not the suspect after we got, you know, the pictures on our phones from the, from the place. And, and the two of us just laughed, and even he laughed. But, you know, yeah, he really did fit the description. And we spoke to him, we showed him the call on the cat, on the CAD and everything. And and he laughed about it, but it got me thinking he was really not professional, but he was really, uh, accepting of what we had to do as law enforcement officers. You know, we, we treated him professionally and all that too, but yeah, he did fit the description. And when you say, you know, not to pop off about it and, and know what to do when the police stop you that, you know, it didn't have to blow up because, you know, yes, he was just minding his own business and then he did get detained by the police. Well, part of what you guys did, you and your partner, you probably rolled up and acted professionally, right?
0: You're going to do what right. you have to do. You display the command presence that you need to display. You have the right to stop him if he's matching description. You did exactly what you were supposed to do. And I look at it this way. If it's, if, if it's legal, moral, ethical, safe, and within policy, that's a strong foundation to build on conducting whatever the operations are that we're conducting, right? And so you did that, turned out not to be the guy. Uh, nobody put any 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 foul hands on somebody. He was understanding, you were understanding and everybody went on their way to go do what they need to do. And I think that that right. is that 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 lesson um, is a big deal uh, that people should should get. And for me, in the black um I have relatives and stuff that some of them back in the days were not always on my side of the law. I mean, that's just <laughs> that's a fact in many families and what we're failing to do is teach people how to act under those circumstances. And I think that that's a big deal. Um, we need to be making sure that we're teaching people on both sides of that stop. The people being stopped, uh, the people conducting the stop, how to act in, in in a way that doesn't escalate circumstances unnecessarily. And I think that we're failing to do that. And there's a lot of reasons for that.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think, uh, you know, like you said, chief, I appreciate that. How How my partner and I came off as professional and we didn't do anything unnecessarily and we spoke to him kind of gave him information as as we had it and he was understanding of that and which didn't you know escalate his his anxiety and that whole thing so yeah that's you know a lot of a lot of people don't do that on both sides Mm -hmm. yeah and
0: unfortunately we happen to be now law enforcement uh, you're sitting right in the middle of this we happen to be on the side of things where um, there's microscope looking at the profession as a whole yeah, and so we, uh, regardless of what color blue um, or what color green we are—that light green, dark green, dark blue, light blue, whatever—whatever whatever we bring to the table, um, there are elements of understanding that we have to be in touch with and in tune with, and that is the biggest thing that I think we're failing on. Uh, certainly, as law enforcement organizations, um, we're—it's getting. I think it's getting better only because we're shedding a light on it. Um, it's a lot better than it was in the 80s, and I think better in the 90s. But we got to keep shedding the light on it because, you know, in the 2000s, we're facing different challenges. And, you know, in the next millennium, we'll be facing different challenges. And so the goal here is we have to be able to change. And um, if we're not willing to change, then we're really going to be in in a world of hurt. And I I think we're I think we're starting to hit the mark on understanding why change is necessary.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And. That change comes with uh, you know a new breed of officers out there that we're, we're all trying to fish in the same pool. Uh, my agency, we're hurting for people. I'm sure your agency's hurting for people. And it's kind of hard to find people that are willing and, and, and able to join the profession. I remember when I first came up in the 90s, and I'm sure like you, there were lines around the block to apply for these positions, and now you, can, <laughs> you can't finally hide, uh, find anyone who wants to apply for these positions. How, how can we kind of change that narrative? One of the problems we're facing,
0: um, I'll, I'll use San Gabriel
1: as an example. Um, I'm the president of the
0: Los Angeles County Police Chiefs right now. So I represent the 45 independent law enforcement agencies in LA County. And each one of those departments has a different demographic when you're trying to get your departments to have the face of what your community looks like, right? There's multiple demographics that we're doing, yet we're all faced with the same problem. So in San Gabriel, as an, as an example, um, we are 63% Asian. But when I go pull the applications, less than 1% of 1% of my applications are asian people right um one of the pe- one of the things i'm looking for is language capabilities and cultural capabilities i had to i had to hire a russian guy who speaks mandarin fluently in order to kind of satisfy some of those needs and so it's just odd you know you go back and you look at what they said after ferguson and they were talking about the ferguson effect and how you had a lot of white cops po- po- policing a black neighborhood um, as, a, as a police executive, I, I, I get that on, on its face, but when I look at the hiring piece that I'm now in charge of, I look at where are my folks that are going to be able to put me in a position where I have more people that look like this community. And so um, the recruitment effort is paramount in our minds here in LA County. How do we get those people interested and motivated to come into this profession? And it, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting dilemma because I can't hire, I, I have a hard time finding Asian uh, applicants. Uh, no problem finding Latino applicants. i got no problem finding white applicants. Um, um, I've had some black now, applicants come through. But do you
1: think that's a cultural thing? I know a, a lot in the Asian community that law enforcement isn't a, as, as noble profession as, say, you know medicine or law or, or engineering. Well, I mean, for obvious be. reasons. Hey, even in my household, you know, I got I got a uh, a son who wants to go into medicine. And mm-hmm. He's over at uh, one of the UC schools, and the daughter's about to graduate high school, and she's not interested in law enforcement. And uh, props to my daughter; she just got accepted to Howard University, oh, so woo. she'll be go- yes, indeed, indeed. But yes, thank you, thank you. Um, you know, in the Asian community, it may be a little bit uh, not taboo, but not as looked on as fondly to be in law enforcement.
0: Would you say? I agree with that, and I think sometimes first generation, that's part of that learning that we need to understand. The first right. generation folks that come over, they're coming from a place where law enforcement takes on a completely different hue, takes on a completely different dynamic where you're in places where sometimes people deal with the police and disappear and never come back. So, I mean, yeah. there's 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 elements to that that I get. The second generation folks are starting to get there, but I do believe it's cultural um, in a lot of instances. And an interesting story, one of the chiefs that I was talking about earlier uh, was a, a Chinese. And he, I worked for him and he was an outstanding leader, uh, taught me so many things. But he had an interesting story where he had a brother and a sister and his uh, brother was a doctor or dentist and his sister was a doctor and he wanted to be a police officer and his family wouldn't talk to him for years, years and years, because that wasn't the profession they wanted him to go into. And culturally, it wasn't until he became a chief or at least a captain and got to an area where he was in the, you know, a, a little more lofty positions within the police department that they started to come around and do that thing. Now that's definitely a cultural thing, but I think we're dealing with that on a broader scale with multiple cultures and those people not wanting to be cops. Um the other thing is some of the negative press and things that we're having over the course of the last two to three years is impacting negatively recruitment. Um, people just don't wanna get into this profession for a lot of reasons. If there's something else you can do and make the same money, why would I put myself through that? It's kind of what I'm running right. into with the people that I'm that we're trying to hire, and so recruitment becomes a really big problem. And uh, we're trying to find different and more creative ways to recruit.
1: Yeah, and one of those different creative ways, I, I know your department is big on social media. I know you're big on social media. How are you guys using social media to kind of promote you guys' message out there in San Gabriel?
0: Well, the guys, the younger, the guys at the younger end of our spectrum, you know, 21 in California to be a police officer. Those are people who've never not known technology, right? These are people who've never had a dial phone. They don't understand pagers. They don't understand any of that. They've all been with camera phones and all that kind of stuff, yep. right? Um, so they don't understand having to make an emergency breakthrough on the telephone, and they don't understand any of that stuff. So we have to find a way to reach out to those people that interests them. And if we don't, if we're not putting our communication, our recruitment efforts in a platform that draws these people in, we're missing the boat. Gone are the days where we just show up at a place, set up a booth and say, come work for us because we do police work. Nobody pays attention to that. They don't do that. You might as well watch some TV thing on, on TV land, Lassie or something, right? Right. Because it's just <laughs> <Right>? different. <laughs> it's just different.
1: Yeah. Just different.
0: And we have to find a way to to get through to folks and really navigate the, technolo- the technological communication scene. Um, and we have to be well versed in it. So I've got to hire and put people in positions. That can speak that language so that we can draw people in and that's what we're trying to do here i think we're being effective at getting people in uh but the other part of it is once we get those people in now we've got to deal with is are they capable of passing a background and putting them in a position where they can be law enforcement so you know i'm sure you're familiar with that right we we got all these spots to fill we got you know this many people applying but we only have this many people passing so what do we do and uh that's going to be a dilemma from now to the end of time i'm
1: not complaining it just is what it is is what it is. Yeah. Because like I said, you know, back in the day when you had, you know, 10,000 people applying for for 100 spots or or in agencies like ours applying for 10 spots, um, you know, you, you could whittle those down because you're going to lose people along the process anyway. Point. But now but now when you got 100 people applying for 10 spots and you're going to lose, you know, most of those people anyways, it, it mm-hmm. makes makes it kind of hard. And, you know, use, like I just got done saying, 100 applicants, that, that's, that's something that we're all striving for nowadays. You're lucky you get 50 applicants for, you know. We used to shoot for, for two days of recruitment with people all the way around the block. And yeah. now the numbers yeah. of
0: applicants are so low that that's, that's a problem. But I, I, I do believe that the applicant pool is directly impacted by uh, a lack of uh, progress in the way that law enforcement agencies recruit. Um, we're going to have to get better. I think we're seeing us get a little better along with the social media stuff how we're reaching out to people, what platforms are we reaching out to. Um, but the bigger part of that, deal is setting the example where we have people that want to become part of this profession. Yes. right? Community engagement, all of those things are the things that we have to do to set the tone, so that it's not just about coming out here and chasing bad guys and, and putting crooks in jail and doing all that stuff, but we are dealing with and trying to deal with homeless circumstances and situations, that we're trying to help with the mental health issues. and. in in a way that we're not beating people up and doing all that kind of stuff, but really trying to get people the help they need. So um, we're trying to set the tone that makes people, makes that group say, especially that caring group that has a heart, right? Um, I didn't have that when I first came into law enforcement. I didn't care about anybody's feelings. All I wanted to do was go catch bad guys. And if I was chasing them, even the better. Um, And Mm -hmm. you have to evolve because that's not the end all be all. There are those times where we have to do that. Um, that, yeah, I, I don't mean, think that's ever. There's they, always going to be crooks. they got to be <laughs> they
1: got to be caught in cust- yeah, and put in
0: custody. Yeah, absolutely. It's gotta they, have, you know. But if we're not balanced enough to understand how we solve these problems or mitigate these problems to begin with, um, then we're going to have a long road to hope And that's just how I see yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: And uh, and still talking about social media. Uh, so so that means TikTok. We we gonna see Chief Harris uh, doing some TikTok dances or? or oh, I've has done been, TikTok, man. I'm hot on uh, TikTok. Uh, yeah, man. I really. Did, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't have TikTok though.
0: Come on man, I've done some TikTok dances with the local uh, high schools. Um, I did this thing called, or we at the station did this thing called Humanizing the Badge. When you get the opportunity, just go online and pull up Humanizing the Badge. Click on the one that says San Gabriel on YouTube, and you'll see me get my boogie on, man, because I'm trying to relate Uh to the folks. I'm trying to Uh relate to the folks that, you know, we want to get in and get in this place and let them know we're not stuffy.
1: Right now, So we're yeah. not, we're not, but, but you know, we're, we're not uh, 18 and 17 and 16 either. You know, when they look at us doing those, they're like, please stop. They're just like your kids. We're like, stop that. Please. Stop. I hear you. I was working, I was doing the old man
0: two-step, but I was, but I was working. I was working yes. the old man right. two-step. You know, I'm not doing, I can't do the kick worm and all the stuff they do on the floor and all the stuff they do now, Yeah. but I'm trying to get them to understand. And I use other people in the organization that are that that are their age. Um, so they see, Hey, the chief's doing it. We're, we're kind of, wanting people to do that within the organization and it's it's really drawn people in i did an interview this morning before coming in here with uh, a department head interview where i was bringing uh we're hiring right now and one of the things that the applicant most recent applicant said was i heard a lot about you and what you do here now that's not a that's not a major issue for me i'm not looking for kudos but what it does do is say the message is getting out and if that's how they're talking in an interview and they're telling me things that we've done then they're really looking at the research and and doing their research and seeing what we're doing. And that's a win for us, in my opinion. Absolutely.
1: And then uh, earlier you were talking about the the importance of education. What uh, what sort of educational background did, did you have? Because I know you, you got more than just uh, your GED from, uh, <laughs> yeah. from high school to, to be the chief of police over there. Yeah. Well, I, I've got two master's
0: degrees. Uh, I got a master's degree in uh, organizational management, and I have a, another master's degree in law enforcement and public safety leadership. And although those things are not needed uh, to get in this position, typically um, education, further education really denotes and demonstrates the the critical thinking part of what's necessary in the job. I'm much better having had that education than I would have been not having that education, and I see it that way. Um, I I look at it for the critical thinking skills that it provides and that I can apply across the board. Uh, There's nothing that replaces real life experience or work experience, but there's also understanding the writing process and learning how to write and learning how to read uh, and do research. And um, in this job, research is important because you have to understand how to mitigate problems in the community. And it requires a lot of that kind of stuff. And you get that with education. So for me, in the recruitment Mm -hmm. process, education is huge. If all things are equal and I got one position and I got two people testing and they are equal in every way, but one person has education, guess who's getting the job? And that's just how yep. I look at it because of that 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 broadness of thought that we need to have. And um, that's that I, I think it's a winning formula. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It shows that they know how to take a task and follow through with it. Yes, sir. And perseverance with it, you know, because it's not going to be easy. And and especially if uh, if they were an adult learner, it absolutely shows that perseverance there. So, you know, they absolutely they were getting there, you know, getting their education while they were working. So, yeah, that, yeah. That's, I think
0: it's huge. I just think it's yeah. so huge. And people need to get that. And we have room and space for people who don't have the education. Not everybody's meant to go to school and to do those things, but education comes in many forms. And so, throughout the course of careers, you know, over thirty years, and you're familiar with this, being engaged in law enforcement, there's training and things that will get you advanced leadership training that will get you to some places that can help you. Uh, the National Academy. I'm a National Academy graduate, class two sixty three. Uh, I went to the West Point leadership program and 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 got some of the best leadership training I've ever had and then you know I did command post-command college here in California and so any one of those is good enough sometimes in the application process but my commitment to the education was I if I want people to really do all they can do I, d- I said I gotta get all three of those and I worked for people who allowed me to go do that uh, and it worked out so for me it's about motivation and enthusiasm um, That enthusiasm is the force that creates momentum so you got to have your head screwed on right to get that kind of stuff and that's what I try to promote with the people that are coming on. Yeah, yep.
1: Yeah. And uh we are just starting to pull through. Uh we were talking about the uh the pandemic a little bit earlier. Um and the Omicron, you know, those variants mm-hmm. and Delta and all those variants coming How are you guys over in San Gabriel dealing with it and how about your department in general? You guys had any losses? Um how are you guys dealing with the uh, with COVID? Uh, no losses. And for us,
0: we were fortunate. Um, I was the first one in the organization to get the vaccine. I, I am. I, I said I have to set the tone if I'm going to expect other people to do it. And this was long before there were any mandates and any of that stuff came out. So fortunately for us, we had about a 85% voluntary compliance citywide. So we had a very good response here. And some agencies did not have that. So we were fortunate. Um, and we haven't had any losses. But Monterey Park, my old shop, just recently lost one person uh, to COVID. And so Um, It is happening and it is out there. I think as chiefs, we can get in front of a lot of this by setting the tone. Again, um, going out and making sure we get those, get that. uh... We froze up a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're back. Okay, we're
0: back. All right, so, I mean, to me, it's just setting the tone again. And and I had doubts about the vaccine. I really did. I I didn't want to go get it. I was more inclined to just catch it, get through it, and see what happens. Hopefully, I'm one of those ones uh but that's not how you lead in the department. So sometimes you got to put those other folks ahead of yourself and that's what we tried to do here.
1: Right, right. Uh so do do you have mandates in your city or or your department for for employees to have to get the vaccine? I know I know that's kind of the uh the the talk of the day of of places needing to get that. Have you guys gone that route yet? We are we are not early
0: adopters because we're waiting for the government and the local and the state government and the CDC to get it right as far as consistency. Um, you know, It's come out that it was going to be this way, and then it came out it was going to be that way. And I, I, my city manager is a very, very thoughtful person. And I, I agree that it, it's not always good to be the first one to do something. Let's see how it pans out. Let's make sure we got it all squared mm-hmm. away. So for us, because we had the voluntary compliance, we weren't in the same boat of the mandate. Um, we had such a high level of voluntary compliance. We are prepared to do the mandate, but we're trying to see how the the local uh, legislation comes through to see if how that's going to work and we're prepared to do it but we're also prepared to offer a testing option so that there's not we're not using blunt force to try and force people to get something uh if they really are legitimately against it either religiously or medically or whatever or just from fear and so we have a testing option some cities are not oper- offering a testing option i don't understand that personally but hey to each his own we will offer a testing option and it works out really well for us so we don't have the morale problems and and the people being upset about the process, so it's working
1: out pretty yeah. well for us. is it is it a daily test or a weekly? Weekly, okay, yeah, weekly. Yeah. Test. And that's been working out for you guys. It's been working out. Uh, in fact, our yeah. fire
0: department went out and trained all of their people to provide the test, so we don't have to go to hospitals. We just simply go to our
1: local fire station and get tested. Nice,
0: nice, mm-hmm. yeah, it worked out.
1: Yeah, see they, yeah, your guys, county
0: doing some smart work over there.
1: Yeah, your 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 county is uh is in the news quite quite frequently about the, uh, the mandates and things of that nature when uh, restaurants and stores and things of that nature hasn't quite made it, uh, this East, this way East yet, as far as that level of, yeah. of, uh, restriction. But, uh, you know, Hey, hopefully we can all get through this. Cause you know, we all got to live together. You know, I'm in your County quite frequently. I'm sure you're in my County quite frequently. So, you know, we're all here together. So let's get through you, it. Bro. I'm vaccinated. I'm vaccinated. You. Uh, my whole family is, so, um, same okay. here. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Same so here. speaking of speaking of speaking of family is uh, I know you were talking uh, a lot about your mom earlier. Really. Is, is, is she still with us? Mom is still with us. 83 year old Raider fan uh, to the max. Oh, no. And, oh, So, so uh, how she feel about that loss the other uh, day? She's not
0: feeling too good about that, man.
1: She's not feeling too good <laughs> about that. But
0: but uh, she does her thing. And uh, she is a Raider supporter to the most. She was on the boosters for a while and uh, travels really? away to some of the away games. And so uh, it's nice. really it, it's good, it's good. Yeah,
1: so. you know who is feeling good though, hmm. this Forty ers fan right here. You know <laughs> I hear you <laughs> got through the the, the Cowboys. The uh, yeah, next game with with Green Bay is gonna be a gonna be a tough one. But that's um, gonna be
0: a tough roll to hold. But yeah. you know, I was okay with them boys losing, so I was okay with that. I was all right. Oh yeah, oh yeah,
1: oh yeah. <laughs> I'm forward. a Rams fan and, uh, personally,
0: so at some point, I'm okay. hoping the Rams and Frisco get together and, and chop it up.
1: Yeah, I was I was at that game last week too. Over mm-hmm. at uh over at SoFi. My first time being over there at SoFi. I I really enjoyed it. You know, I got to tell you chief, we we kind of took over that stadium. Of course,
0: yeah, we our fans did not yeah. show up. That's for sure. That no. was a sea of red. Yeah, yeah. it was a it sea of red. It won't be like that and, in the playoffs.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. Well, it definitely not this one. You won't see that many Arizona fans, but uh Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I true. mean that's true. Yeah, they, yeah, not the one tonight, but yeah, uh, yeah I'm looking forward. The Super Bowl going to be here in L. A. this year, mm-hmm. and uh, that's going to be that's going to be crazy, crazy. Um, I, I had heard at some point they were talking about maybe moving it if you know the 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 COVID numbers kept going up and up over here in uh, in our, in uh, L. A. County, but uh, I guess they're still going to go through with it. Yeah, I, at, think, uh, so far, I think right? they're
0: too, I think they're committed, and there's too much right now in the way of uh, dollars that have been spent. Uh, on this thing, it's about yep. the money, and yep. uh, this stadium is not going to not have the Super Bowl. They they'll do everything to make sure everybody wears masks, and they will talk it up, and they'll do all of that. But uh, it would it would take an act of Congress to make this thing go somewhere else, <laughs> right? Yeah, I, yeah. I I think right this yeah. close to the Super Bowl.
1: This close, yeah, because we're like a, a month, less than a month away. Less so, than a month, yeah, no, yeah less, than, less a month, than a month. So. Yeah, we'll see. And that halftime show, I'm waiting on. You know, Dre, hey, Dr. Snoozee, Dre. <laughs> Eminem, and yeah. and uh, Mary J. So yeah, Mary yeah, J. is gonna, gonna, gonna hit. You know, not. she gonna do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think Kendrick Lamar too, <laughs> and, and Kendrick, and Kendrick yeah. too. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I'm Looking forward yeah, it's to that. Be good, uh, bro. Maybe by the time this this uh, actually comes out, you know, we would have had that. Uh, that uh, halftime show already, but uh, hey, for the, for the replay, just just know that uh, Chief Harris and I, we were looking forward to that halftime show and the game, yeah, especially with the Niners. Uh, real quick, before you get out of here, just uh, some words of wisdom for the, for the audience. Um, I, I really believe that
0: enthusiasm is the force that creates momentum in anything that we're doing. You want to be a great podcaster, you want to be a great police officer, you want to be a great police chief, you set the tone with attitude, the part that we control. And I think when it comes to racial issues that we're dealing with in this country, when it comes to crime issues that we're dealing with, homelessness, mental health, we can solve all of these problems if we commit to the effort. That's the part that we control. We don't control the outcome, we control the effort and the value we bring to the problem solving. And if everybody takes that 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 tone, I think we will get so many things done and I'm going to be one of the people who tries to lead that that mantra as we move forward. So uh, Dale, I want to tell you I appreciate um you reaching out and, and us being able to chop it up here uh on this platform. I'm I'm available for you at any time if you want to do this again. Um let's get let's get to it and do it. I appreciate people like you getting the message out. Uh I thank you for your service and for all those people who are out there, uh be safe. Um, uh, you know, let us work together to solve these problems and I think we'll be all right.
1: Appreciate you, Chief. Thanks. Be right, safe out thanks, there. You, all, right, all right, you take care.
0: You. All right, we'll all talk right. to you soon.
1: I right, fam, that's it for this episode of the Black & Blue Podcast I definitely want to thank San Gabriel, California Police Chief Gene Harris For dropping in and spending some time with us I really appreciate all you do with your community and your department And let me thank all of you out there for either watching or listening to this episode Please, help spread the word about the Black & Blue Podcast By sharing this or any other episode you've enjoyed with the people in your service. I'll be back in another couple weeks with another interview you'll be sure to enjoy. But till then, y'all know the phrase that pays. Stay black and blue. I'll holler to you. It is out.
0: This has been a entertainment presentation.